0: Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church.
1: Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And today we're in the middle of a study on the book of James in this series called Reflections on Wisdom. Pastor Sean is in James chapter 4 talking about passion, which seems like a noble trait according to the world. Being passionate is perceived as a good thing, but the Bible also describes a downside to unprincipled passion that can bring harm to those around us and to our relationship with God. We're going to learn how wisdom can harness and channel passion in a matter that improves our life and our contribution to the world around us. The message today is called Letting Wisdom Lead. It's time for Real Life Radio
2: question that we keep asking is, where is the wisdom? Because as we look around, it's like craziness continues to just go, you know, every which way but loose. The political thing is just kind of just this constant reminder that, oh my gosh, we need wisdom. And some of the way people view things and some of the way people talk about things, it's just like there's zero connection between some of the things people say and kind of their ideas and between what actually happens in real life and in the real world. And that's an absolute just lack of wisdom. And so we're looking through the book of James. In fact, you have your Bibles. Why don't you turn to James chapter 4? We, we have a sermon notes app if you want to use that. It's great. It's got the notes from the sermon. Or in your bulletins, you have a paper copy of the notes. You can follow along with that. We have some of the scriptures there. But I always encourage you to get your own copy of scriptures. I don't care if that's a leather-bound paper. I don't care if you have electronic. Uh, just make sure that I'm not lying to you and making this stuff up, okay? Always keep the preacher honest by having your Bible. That's my view. So we're going to look at James chapter 4 and we're going to continue this conversation on wisdom. Now remember what we started with. The only true wisdom is God's wisdom. Okay? The only true wisdom, because it is eternal. It is the ultimate long view, big picture, which wisdom always has. And there's other kinds of wisdom. Remember James talked about He talked about wisdom from above and he talked about wisdom that's not from above. So there's other kinds of wisdom. But to the degree that they are opposed to or they depart from God's wisdom, they will ultimately fail. And there's other wisdoms other, and I'll, I'll tell you, to the degree that they align with God's wisdom, they will bear good fruit. That's just the way it works. Because you're like, man, I see some ungodly people, but they make wise decisions. They align with godly wisdom. Somebody taught them godly wisdom, and they see good fruit. Well, that's because God's wisdom bears good fruit. So remember, we talked about wisdom in adversity, special kind of wisdom there. We talked about wisdom and wealth. We learned some good principles, I think, about about walking in in wisdom when it comes to our resources. And last week we learned about the secret to wise speech is to speak from the right source. James had some very strong things to say about how we speak. Now, today I want to look at the question of leadership. The question of leadership, because here's the, the truth. We are all led by something. You know, we're all led by something. There's, there's things that move us, that drive us forward, that lead the context of our lives. There's a, this, whether it's a decision-making grid, whatever it is, we're all led by something. And James has some strong things to say about this as well. Beginning at verse 1 of James 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Listen to this. You adulterous people. James, you know, these last couple weeks, he has been pretty direct with us. You adulterous people. Why is he saying that? Well, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy? Jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, another translation says, grieve. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. That's a really important idea. There's only one lawgiver and judge who, He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge? Your neighbor. Now, there's a lot of stuff that James packed in there, but let's unpack it a little bit. He starts out with this conversation about passions. Passions. And it's the literal translation of that phrase. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war with you? The literal translation is pleasures. Another one says desires. Passions. Those things that drive us. And I just want to say we're going to talk a lot about passions and we live in a culture where a lot of leadership literature, a lot of things we read, list passions as a good thing. You know, you want to be passionate. You want to have a... What's, what are you passionate about? And that's a fair conversation. But we're going to find that passions, when they're turned the wrong way, can become a very damaging thing. And it's interesting that he begins, kind of bookends of this passage, talking about relationships. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's your passions are at war. And then he ends by saying, do not speak evil against a brother." Don't judge your brother. One of the greatest casualties of being led by our passions or our desires is relationships. One of the first things that gets sacrificed on the altar is relationships. I mean, think about the different relational mistakes that we made because of misplaced or misdirected passions or desires. How about getting into a bad relationship? You ever been in a bad relationship? Yeah, that's not fun. Okay. Okay get into a relationship and just take a look and go, what was I thinking? My mom tried to warn me, my dad tried to warn me, my friends tried to warn me. What was I thinking? What everyone else could see clearly because they weren't caught up in passion, misguided passion. How about hurting those we love, people we care about, we love, and hurting them because something in us rises up. How about neglecting important relationships because of other passions? And you look back and you go, oh my gosh, the most important people in my life, I neglected them. I didn't give them the priority they deserved. I pursued other things because at the time they seemed so much more important. I was so much more passionate about them. But some of the most important relationships in my life I neglected. Conflicts, judgment. How about using people, seeing people as a means to an end? All kinds of relational mistakes. And I just find it fascinating that this whole thing about this passion stuff, he bookends with these conversations about relationships. I think that's significant. Now, real quickly here, James illuminates three enemies that play on our passions. Okay, three enemies that play on our passions. And they're all listed right here. You may have heard this before. We've talked about the three enemies of our faith. Well, they're all listed right here. The first he talks about is the flesh. And that's what he's talking about, the pleasures and desires of the carnal nature. That's that part that says, I got to be first. I got to take care of number one. Me first, me first. That's what the flesh is all about. The flesh has an appetite that never wants to be told no. You remember last week we read Galatians chapter 5. I want to read that passage again because it's so important and so powerful. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16 through 24, Paul says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This, I'm telling you, this is a significant principle. You need to understand, as followers of Jesus Christ, we still live in this body of ours, and we still struggle with the flesh. Our spirit is renewed and made new, but we still have this flesh. And what Paul is telling us is that the flesh and the spirit are at war, constant. So you ever wonder, why do I keep doing things that I realize were stupid or that I didn't want to do? You, there's a flesh in you. What's that voice that keeps telling me, that's stupid, you don't want to do that. That's the spirit. The follower of Jesus Christ, you have his spirit, but you also still have flesh. And, and Paul tells us they are opposed, they're at war. And here's what's interesting. What that means is what's good for one is bad for the other, and vice versa. To whatever degree I indulge and feed my carnal, selfish, fleshly nature it is bad for my spiritual development. And to whatever degree I develop my spirit and I discipline myself by filling my spirit and connecting with God, it is crucifying to the flesh. So Paul goes on, he says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to how many of these have relational implications, the works of the flesh. Okay, listen to this. It says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So many of those are relational. And it's because it's my flesh bumping up into someone else's flesh. And now listen to what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the produce of God's Spirit in our lives as we surrender our lives to Christ. As we follow the leadership of the Spirit, it bears fruit. You know, you reap what you sow. This bears fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. This is what he produces. It is love, joy, peace. Notice how many of these are relational. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the first enemy that James talks about, that our passions will kind of take and twist, is the flesh, our carnal nature. The second he talks about, the second enemy, is the world. The world. He says in verses 4 and 5, you remember what he said? He said, you adulterous people. In other words, you're being unfaithful to God. Your heart and your love should belong to your Father, your Savior, but you are... He says, he says don't you know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Now, when we talk about the world, he says, he, he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What are we talking about? Are we talking about the planet? Is this some sort of an anti-environmental message? No, it's not. What we're talking about is a system. We're talking about a system. The love's the values, and the system of the world around us. And it is. It is a system. You ever noticed? You ever watch things happen? You go, why do people think that way? And you see, educated, smart people, but they have this underlying philosophy that you just go, where are they getting that from? That never works in real life, and it always leads to, to hardship. Wherever it's tried, it fails. Why do they keep beating that? There's a philosophy behind it. There's a love, there's values, there's attachments. That's the world that he's talking about, the world system. And let me tell you something about the world system. It is always humanistic. You know what humanistic means, right? We've heard that phrase thrown around. It means human-centered. And, and you go, but wait a minute, God loves people. There's nothing more that builds people up than the love of God in their life and to know how much they're loved by him. That's true. But humanism puts human over God, and it always demeans God. Always demeans God. It says there's no authority but us. Humanism is almost always, if not overtly, at least subtly, agnostic or atheistic in its bend, because if there's a God, that means we don't get to be Him, right? And so that puts us in a position of where we're not the top. And humanism says, no, 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 no. Us first. Us first. And you, you understand if you start thinking about education, you start thinking about political philosophies and how, how socioeconomics work, and you, see, you can see the, the effects of humanism when we say, no, no, there is no God, we're God. Whatever the consensus of the majority, if I can control that, I can control everything because that's the top. We understand, no, that's not true. There is a God. So the world system, and Paul uses that phrase, he's jealous for his own. That's why he used that phrase, adulteress.
1: We want to take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in this series called Reflections on Wisdom from the book of James as found on the sermons page at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road, across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9:30 and 11:15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
1: And back to the message: letting wisdom lead, based on the Book of James. This is Real Life Radio.
2: I think we Christians can have to be very careful because we, we have a desire, and it is a biblical desire, it reflects the heart of God, to reach the world around us, and that is a beautiful thing. But I think there's a danger, and I see it all over the place. Christians moving beyond reaching the world to the place where we would now want to please the world. And it may seem like a subtle difference, but it makes all the difference. It might be well-intended, but it's never wise, and I've seen so many. I, I read lots of periodicals, and... I read Christian blogs and I see what people are talking about. And there's a whole movement within supposedly Christian circles that is very anti-church. And it's like there's this desire to kind of cozy up to the world and say, yeah, aren't they bad? We're not like them. Aren't they bad? Here's the deal. Remember, Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples. Not that you rip on each other. The person who thinks they're really being spiritual by ripping on everybody else in the church, that is an arrogance and a pride. It it might be thinly veiled, whatever. I'm not talking about self-policing, okay? There's a degree where we need to call out our own stuff and say, hey, wait a minute. We need to be honest with one another. But that's to be done in a sense of community. By this law, I know you're my disciples, that you love one another. But there's such a thing that's kind of almost wanting to cozy up to the world. And understand, uh, we never attract the world by being worldly, okay? They don't need more worldly. They already got that. It's covered. All we do is reflect ourselves as kind of insecure and kind of just please accept us, accept us. No, what appeals to people with truly seeking hearts, looking for something true, real, is when the church is actually the church. We actually love one another. We are passionate about Father. We follow him hard. For those who are open to what God wants to do, for those with a hungry heart, that's appealing. The third enemy is the devil third enemy is the devil. And it's like, oh, we get really weird. Oh, dude, are you really going to go there? That's not very sophisticated. And please understand, I I know this because I grew up Pentecostal, so I know all about this. Okay. Seriously, I knew people who got so crazy in the, you know, kind of spiritual warfare thing that they'd see the devil. There's a demon in the stool. Demon out. And you know, on the stool and you're like, dude, it's furniture. It's not great furniture, but it's just furniture. I I saw people who went to wild, crazy extremes and got all weirded out. You know, this, honestly, what James says about the devil, this is the best verse on spiritual warfare, I think. This is the essence of spiritual warfare. Remember what James said in verse 7? He said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? That's the best verse on spiritual warfare. Now, we'll talk more about that later. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But he talks about a spiritual enemy. There is a real spiritual enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of the air. There is a spiritual enemy. God is spiritual. There's a spiritual realm. And there is a spiritual enemy. And James says, you really shouldn't give too much attention to him. Submit yourself over to God, resist the devil, and he'll
1: flee from you.
2: Now, the placement of James 4 is really significant. Remember, those verses and chapters that help us find our way around the Bible, they weren't there in the original letter. James probably wrote either on a scroll or on parchment. And so the chapters and verses were later put in by editors to help us find our way around and notate what was said in the Scriptures. But James didn't have that, so what was right before, understand, remember the passage we read in the first week. It is right before this James 4. remember what it said, James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? So it's all about wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Sounds a lot like the list in Galatians, doesn't it? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The next words are what we read in James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Because this is what James is trying to get a hold of us and get across to us is so important. Following Jesus means being led by His wisdom, not by your passions. Following Jesus means being led by His wisdom, not by your passions. And this is, I think, I, I shared in the video that I sent out this week uh, that this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to so many people in actually walking in wisdom. They think, oh no, I've got these passions. I'm supposed to follow my passions. Wrong. Understand, healthy passion is a wonderful motivator. And it's a gift from God. But it is not supposed to be the leader. It is not supposed to be the leader. Passion needs to be led. Say that with me. Passion needs to be led. Passion is neutral, right? Passion is not good or bad. It's neutral. It needs to be led. You could have passion for things that you go, oh man, this is a really great passion and it's great. Uh, you could also have passion for other things that you go, I can have passion for spending a lot more money than I make. That's not a good passion. You, we all know people like that. I'm a passionate spender. Yeah, but you're not a passionate earner and so you have a problem. <laughs> this is just math now, but I'm not judging you. I'm just doing math here. You're going to have a train wreck here. We have a government that's become a passionate spender, not so much a passionate earner. And we're going to have a problem. It always leads to a problem. So passion is neutral. You ever talk to someone who's kind of out of touch with their passions? Like, oh, man. And you just talk to them, I'm going to be a pro basketball player, and it's going to be awesome. That's my passion. I'm going to play professional basketball. I'm like, have you ever watched a video of yourself playing? You know you're five seven, right? Your mom's 5'4", your dad's 5'8". I don't know that this is going to happen for you. Okay, I just don't know this can not Now, I don't know. Maybe there's other things that you might end up being related to That's basketball. That's cool. But you're out of touch. As a musician, I'll hear people go and say, Hey, listen to this. I'm going to be a singer-songwriter. And I'm going. I'm going to move to Nashville. I'm going to do this. And it's just like, oh, Lord, what do I say? I don't want to be mean, but no. Your passion, No. Maybe you can do something connected with music. I don't know, but if you say my passion is... Passion is... It can be misplaced. It can be misguided. And that's an important understanding. Lots of things can influence our passions. We should not be people of our passions. Passion, when it's healthy, when it's well-led, is a powerful motivator and a great thing. And you need to know that. But we have to be real careful. And we talk about being people of principle versus passion. Principle setting up guidelines and leadership for passion. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Myers-Briggs inventory. I really like it. I think it's a pretty cool tool for just understanding how people are wired and motivated. It's a great tool. It talks about it, it looks at four different areas and kind of based on how people kind of lay out in those areas, it really is a very good predictor of kind of or at least revelation of how people respond. The first one is extrovert versus introvert. And there's no good and bad in any of these. It's just, you know, largely, are you more charged by kind of time alone or are you recharged by time with people? And that's a good indicator, okay? It's not always all that obvious. I'm an extrovert, but I'm not a super high extrovert. I do need those times to kind of pull back and regather. Some people, man, they go out and get are with a bunch of people and they just keep getting charged up, you know, and I have some of that. Okay? Lori, not so much. Lori's an introvert. She needs that time to charge. And that's just the way we're wired. The next is between what they call intuitive and sensory. Intuitive people are people who tend to be more abstract. They tend to be more abstract. And sensory people are more concrete. You know, an intuitive person is going to ask the question, tell me your visions, tell me your dreams in a job interview. Tell me what you envision, what you see. A sensory person is going to go, tell me what you've done. Okay? Both are valid. But it's just the way people are wired. The third is the one I'm really referring to here, and it's the thinking and the feeling. And remember, these are, these are both positive, and they both have potential pitfalls, and they're both positive. And understand, if you're a thinker, you have feelings, and you feel. And if you're a feeler, you think. Okay, So it's not, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, when you're going to make decisions, what are you going to be more motivated by? Thinkers tend to be people who are going to be motivated by, okay, here's what I know, here's the facts, here's what I see. And feelers are going to be more motivated by, but wait a minute, is this going to impact this one that way? And this is going to impact, and more by the circumstances and by the relationships around them. And then the last one is just perceiver or judger, which those phrases don't really mean anything as far as the, the actual concept. I mean, I'm sure they do. I just, you know, I've not seen much of the connection. The perceiver is the person who wants open-ended. They don't like, to, they don't like closure because they want more input, They're, the more opportunity. They want to see what else is going to happen. The judge the J people, judgers are they want closure. They love closure, they love lists, they love get this done and move on. Okay? So in an organization you want a lot of J's working there. If you're gonna have some Ps moving around, you need some J's to help, you know. But it's that that thinker feeler thing, and this is one of those things that's when you talk about passions and principles. I think we need to be careful. Of course, the thinker has the challenge of kind of being cold and kind of just too analytical, you know, the, the paralysis by analysis, right? But the feeler has the potential to let their feelings just lead in ways that sometimes aren't great. Understand something, feelings are real. They are real. They are not always accurate. That's a really important thing for us to understand. Thank
1: you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio. As next time we'll continue in this series on wisdom based on the book of James which is available right now on demand when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. Service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life